You're listening to the Owls AmeriCast, sponsored by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow live match streaming service. Sign up now at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. I liked it better when there was one win and one loss to recap. On Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday, Opinion with an American Accent. Just one loss this week. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I had a cocktail and a glass of wine at dinner, so I'm just drinking a little bit of a Ruibus, red tea from South Africa. No caffeine, pleasant enough to drink, and will allow me to go to sleep, but hopefully not while recapping a very boring QPR game. We have spread our midfield three to a midfield four, which will improve the video preview since Patty's head will not loom over all of us. Back on the show, back in his closet, it's James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Um, I'm uh, in, in honor of both my uh, my summer vacation and uh, the last lingering hopes, small hopes for the season, uh, only six games in. Uh, I'm drinking a tiny, beautiful something, Pale Ale by Maine Brewing Company which is uh, main beer company, I should say, which I picked up on the road up in Maine. Um, and it's uh, it's as delicious as Wednesday's football is not at the moment. Also on the line across a couple rivers, actually, somewhere in New Jersey, it's Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, I am drinking a six-point brewery, Hooty, which is a hazy India pale ale, uh, basically new in the IPA. Um, explosively aromatic hazy beer that drinks super clean. Actually, I don't usually like six point beers. This is actually one of their better beers. It's a very good new England IPA. And it's got a big owl on the can too, which is obviously why I bought it. And in Ohio, it's Evan Skilter. Evan, how are your marketing campaigns going? Well, uh, first of all, hello, Jeff. Uh, tonight, I'm drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon, and you should too. Pabst Blue Ribbon is the best lager money can buy. In fact, before assuming the name of Pabst Blue Ribbon, this particular beer went by the name of Best Select. Brewed by Pabst Brewing Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Pabst Blue Ribbon sends a chilly wave of noble hops down your esophagus. It smoothly glides through your lower esophageal sphincter before settling calmly into your stomach, giving you that warm, fuzzy, delightfully full feeling you seldom find whilst drinking an American lager. It's truly one of a kind. Speaking of one of a kind, Anheuser-Busch, if you're listening, kindly do one. Evan, you're not going to get a sponsorship deal, man. It's not, it's not going to happen. We haven't, got any, we haven't got any ties with these people. Nothing yeah, says all they beautiful have to do is ad copy like that. the word sphincter. <laughs> also, yeah, I don't want to drink that beer. It's, it's like a esophagus halfway through it, which does not make me feel like drinking beer. Talking of didn't sphincters, say it did you just esophagus. say that was the unique taste of a pure-brewed American lager? I mean, <laughs> that sounds like something that came out of a sphincter, let's be clear. Sorry, mate. I'm not giving up on this stream. <laughs> we do have one last review on this episode. Also cover some Wednesday news and some managerial machinations. And once again, answer your online correspondence in our Any Other Business segment. But we will start with 90 minutes and 90 seconds. QPR 2, Wednesday 1. Uh, 
Okay, I can't sigh for 90 seconds straight without taking a breath because it will make me pass out, which frankly would beat recapping this match. Wednesday switched things up by having a strong first half this week. Stephen Fletcher converted a first half pen to give them a deserved advantage into the break, although they easily could have had two more, and man, that would have helped since Jordan Hugel broke the offside trap in the space of five minutes twice, almost like maybe you shouldn't run the offside trap with four defenders who have never played together before, but I'm not a tactician. Wednesday didn't have much in the way of tactics either, as despite once again throwing a bunch of attackers on, they couldn't break down the QPR defense, sending them to a second consecutive league defeat and a deflating performance at Fortress Hillsboro. I think it was only 45 seconds, but we only got 45 minutes of Wednesday, so we'll just move on. To our talking points, Evan wants to have another personnel discussion. Yeah, so we clearly haven't talked enough about our best lineup. And uh, no one really has a, a damn clue whether or not we'll have a new manager in the next few weeks. So uh, I figured since we haven't had James for a while, uh, James, you can tell us your desired lineup. And us three, being the football experts we are, will criticize your opinion. <laughs> Perfect. <clears throat> so it's, it's always nice to be welcomed back with the uh, immediate derision and, uh, and fury of your colleagues, right? Cheers, Eric. You know, last week, Evan had a talking point that we're just talking with no point. This week's talking point is just Evan asking James for his talking point. <laughs> well, I'm not going to make my talking point, because my talking point is still to come. It's got nothing to do with my preferred lineup. Well, actually, it probably has to do with my preferred lineup. But what, you just want me to list 11 players, Evan? <laughs> yes, please. For Sheffield Wednesday, right? With there. the formation, mm-hmm. too, All right, to Kieran, be fair. Kieran Westwood in goal. A back four of Tom Lees and Julian Borner with Dominic Orfer at right back. And Morgan Fox at left back. Ooh, spicy. Mm, there you go. Uh, a midfield of, um, let me see here. Uh, I would probably like to see Kieran Lee, Adam Reach. Uh, I was going to say Rolando Aarons, but that's like a year out of date. Um, let's, let's just go it's with Harris. It's been a while since that. you've been on the show, James. It's fine. <laughs> Wickham's I'm, own Rolando Aarons. Do you see that? Who's, uh, who's that Aussie fellow we've just signed who's, uh, who's excellent? Massimo Luongo. Luongo, thank you. I'd like him in centre midfield. Notice no Barry Bannon. Um, and then I would like uh, Jordan Rhodes and Stephen Fletcher up front. No Kadeem Harris. I think he also only named three midfielders. No, Kadeem Harris on the left, not Rolando Aarons, just to be clear. Your thoughts, Evan? Would you like to throw the first punch here? Yeah, I actually, um, I didn't listen, so <laughs> sounds good. I would just say I, that I'm going to try to... People are just listening in their droves right now. <laughs> I'm going to try to reel this back in. Um, I do wonder about playing Luongo and Lee and center midfield together. I don't know if there's enough like cover for the back four, especially as Borner likes to wander forward at times. I mean, that's probably the 11 best players on the squad at this point. But I don't know if it fits as well as you'd like. I, it's interesting to me that you went for the 4-4-2 rather than the 4-3-3, which they had some early success with. Yeah, I just, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a simplist 
here. I, I just don't think our midfield players suit the complexity of the midfields that we're trying to play at the moment, whether it's a 4-3-3-1 or 4-3-3. Um, you've got players that, that drift. They're not positionally disciplined enough, and I think a 4-4-2 is a little bit more secure in, in that regard. But look, I'm not a tactician either. I'm definitely not a football manager. You know? Why did um, you pick Jordan Rhodes over any other striker? I've just got this feeling that we're underutilizing him. Um, and I think if you genuinely have <clears throat> reached wide right, Harris wide left, then you've got a fighting chance, especially with a player playing off Fletcher. I, I, it frustrates me immensely to see Fletcher playing on his own. I think you have to have someone playing on his shoulder. Um, and short of the ideal striker that I want, which is a fast, direct, pacey, youthful centre-forward playing right off of Fletcher, um, let's give uh, Rhodes a chance to get in there as well. Um, look, I mean, we've paid the money for him. Let's let's see if we can convert him into a player that we need. Patty, you want to talk about the offside rule, which is definitely going to perk up this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking through the the highlights again at QPR. I think I've gone through them twice now, which is more than I usually do, um, because I'm trying to find something to talk about. And uh, the only thing I got really upset about was the refereeing in this game. Um, the referee did have a bit of a howler. It was dreadful, right? Um, I actually thought we played okay in the first half. Um, there's, there's some good running down the flanks. Up until, up until like the 60th minute, we were probably the better team. But um, obviously, you mentioned earlier on in your kind of preview that there was <laughs> they beat the offside trap twice. I'm going to give them the first one. I think it was a very uh, good goal, very well worked, good kind of split down the middle pass to put Hugel through. But the second goal is what I want to talk about. Because... Let's go back to the original rules uh, and the original offside rule that was there and why it was put in place. Going back to like mob football in 1872, is that what we're doing? Right. The original right. football when, league uh, formation. Yeah, when you had old uh, Billy Big Nuts up front, just stood on the line next to the goalkeeper, and people Doesn't were he play for United? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's been playing for a long time. He's about 300 years old now. Uh, he was, people stood on the, uh, one side of the pitch, hoofing it to Billy Big Nuts, who was goal hanging next to the goalkeeper to, to just tap it in. Right, so they thought, hang on, that's not going to work out. Let's put the offside rule in place, uh, so stop these people hanging near the goal. Are you talking like, about Brian in. Penis? <laughs> it's Brian Penis. <laughs> Isn't that the formation that we did last week? <laughs> um, no, so that was it's put in place to stop goal hanging, right? So, how can you watch that second goal of QPRs and not say that Hugel Hugel is not goal hanging? He is a good three yards ahead of our defenders. Just because he didn't receive the ball first, he's still got three yards in our defence as everyone else tries to catch up with him. The, the cross is then put in. Our defence is nowhere to be seen because they're trying to play catch-up. And he scores a goal. Just because he holds his hand up in the air saying, oh, I'm not in play. Bullshit. It is gained an advantage from being three yards ahead of our defenders. So that, to me, is a clear offside uh, goal. Um, I've looked through the letter of the law on this and I can't find anything that's going to back me up. Uh, but something needs to be changed. For the record, Brian Penis is a Dutch winger that played in the uh, <laughs> late 90s and early 2000s. Was he a pioneer? That's a very Dutch name. Yeah. Brian Penis. Well, I'm really, I'm really glad you all took on my uh, passionate uh, offside uh, talking point really, really well. <laughs> I think the phrase clutching at straws comes to mind, Paddy, and I don't want to align that with what Jeff was just saying. Wait, so you, you disagree? Are you saying that I mean, he, that goal should be allowed? It was hard for him to 
gain an advantage, I think, when no one was anywhere near marking him. <laughs> or gain an additional advantage, I would say, other than the fact that neither of our center backs, specifically Iorfa in that case, was... But no one yet marking him, because he's offside. Why would you mark him if he's offside? <laughs> the play, they're actually playing a decent line, other than that fullback that catches the other guy out. But the actual three people that were looking at Hugel, he was three yards ahead of them, so why would she, why should they bother trying to catch him? Mm. First thing is we need VAR to uh, reverse those kind of decisions, Patty. <laughs> I don't even know if that law would do, be passed on VAR either. Like I said, I couldn't find anything in the written rule. If someone wants to tweet me in, or tweet Owls America's in with why that was definitely a, a legal goal, then uh, please do so and put me wrong. James, your actual talking point is Wednesday's absence of a goal threat. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty an easy talking point, considering the fact that we basically had no shots on target for the vast majority of the game, right? But no, it's, it's a serious point. I mean, like, um, embedded, I guess, in your question, Evan, about preferred lineups and tactics and everything else is, you know, we've, we've gone from a position where at the start of the season, we seem to be playing a really high-pressing game. Certainly, you know, we, we picked off Reading, who were a bit naive, perhaps, with with you know some high pressure wingers, um, players getting into the box quickly. We did the same thing against Barnsley, and we seem to have just regressed to this passing it around, fiddling around on the edge of the eighteen yard box game that we we knew and kind of loathed towards the end of the Carlos era and to an extent over the uh, the entirety of the Joss era as well. And it it's just it's nullifying to watch. You know, we've got better players than that and we, we don't seem to be able to convert it into fast transition up the field and, and creating real scoring opportunities. Um, our, um, our stats plot for the, uh, for the game on, on Saturday is, is scary when you look at expected goals, for example. We scored the, uh, the penalty in like whatever it was, like the 30th minute. Um, after that, no expected goal threat until like the 75th minute when New drops his clanger and... Um, you know, we can debate whether or not he should score that. It's actually quite a difficult opportunity. But the point is that this this team doesn't seem to be able to kind of exert consistent pressure on the opposition. And, and that's really worrying, right? You know, like I say, when we've got players like Jordan Rhodes on the bench or even Sam Winnell, when Fernando Forestieri isn't isn't having an impact, like, you know, how is it we're not able to turn these players into real scoring machines in the championship? You know, they're good enough. We just don't seem to be able to present them with with the opportunities and with the type of football that services them i thought for theory was actually really good in the first half but he did kind of disappear in the second half with some of the tactical and personnel changes that bullen made and i kind of liked them trying the the 4411 or whatever sort of misbegotten misshapen formation that ended up being in the end but i mean this has been an issue for years at this point if you just sort of think about how many matches have been you know how many points i guess have been salvaged or won by adam reach or ross wallace or barry bannon putting in a 35 yarder i know we sort of joke about wednesday having a goal of the season competition amongst themselves but i think that sort of has propped up maybe some issues in the actual attack because they really haven't had that even really 15, let alone 20 goal a season striker in the squad for the last four years now. We, we haven't. Really, and the, really the thing is, right, the 15, 20 year goal a season, goal a season striker scores chances, right? Mm-hmm. So the team that creates 
80 chances a game, well, not a game, a, a season, is, is going to get 20 goals out of that player, right? We, we just don't create those chances. We're not creating the volume. We're, we're too slow in transition. We don't um, we don't exert consistent pressure on the opposition. I just desperately want to see a Wednesday side that does that, you know, does what leads do to, the, to teams or, dare I say it, other teams on the other side of the city. It's probably beating a dead horse at this point, but going back to Forestieria, watching him closely, probably for the first time of of the season, I've actually grown kind of frustrated because it seems, I mean, he's a flashy player. We all know that kind of quick, great foot skills, but uh, other than the fact that he, he won us a penalty, he doesn't really, he doesn't really do much when he moves around. He doesn't really generate, uh, well, you, you've already talked about it. We don't generate chances, but you know, as flashy and quick as he is, it doesn't seem like those movements are very productive to, to the big picture. I don't think he has been. I think he used to. Um, but recently, I'd say over the last 18 months, it feels like he's trying to prove a point too much. So quite often, and this is kind of, I suppose you can say this about his entire career, he tries to hold the ball for like what, one second or two seconds too long. Uh, tries to do something too flashy. Tries to show why he's on the pitch rather than being a team player, which I think is the reason why he's not starting. Um, I think Bullen sees that he wants a little bit more discipline in his players. Uh, he wants someone <laughs> to stick to their formation, regardless of how many times he changes it in a match. Uh, and Forestieri is a little bit more free and kind of plays for himself a little bit. I mean, sometimes you do need that kind of player to unlock a defense. And we can point to numerous occasions where he's created something out of nothing. But, you know, Wednesday's main issue this year is they haven't been able to create something out of something. And I don't think he's helped with that necessarily either. I think the main problem, uh, to go back to James' point, so it's not necessarily with the strike force that we choose, and I agree that Fletcher is a little bit on his own, but if you have runs from midfield uh, and players that get involved and don't all run forward at the same time, because I think we do, we, do it in, we do it in stages sometimes where there is, Reach will get involved, he might appear on the right wing, he might appear in the middle, but then you look behind who's supporting in the centre and there's not a great deal of backup. Uh, Hutchinson's too deep, uh, Bannon might have gone to a different wing. He might have been uh, playing the long ball from deep as well. You miss someone like Kieran Lee when he's on the field, and you miss someone like maybe Luongo uh, that get, will get forward a bit further than those two people. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's exactly my point, Paddy. I, I want more ball carrying through midfield. Um, I want it faster in transition. And if you're going to play wingers get them running the channels deeper and then pulling the ball back in. I mean, that's what we were doing at the beginning of the season. That's why Harris is so exciting. But you've got to have two, three players stretching a defence and creating the opportunity then to, to open up space in the box. And, you know, we've kind of gone through three or four games now where it's just been painfully apparent that we can't unlock those defences. You know, Millwall, Preston, again on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, the, this is a long way around of going around the houses to say that we're misfiring. Um, Stephen Fletcher on his own up front, isolated with big balls being pinged to him from deep from Barry Bannon doesn't work. Uh, we've got to come up with a different approach. I mean, ultimately, the problem with the four-three-three is if you have Kadeem Harris making these runs to the byline and crossing it, and your midfield three is Adam Reach, Barry Bannon, and Sam Hutchinson, none of them are going to be anywhere near getting on the end of that. Like I said, I'm not a tactician, but uh, but this appears to be a bit of a consistent problem. Well, that transitions well into my talking point, which is talent versus tactics, which you, uh, James, identified as somewhat uh, mysterious. But it's actually really quite simple to me. Um, if you look at the individual players on the field, and 
various formations, whether it's whether it's James preferred eleven, whether it's the four three three they were playing earlier in the season. You know, you could argue that over half that squad in their sort of individual roles are at least top of the top half of the championship level players, if not, you know, promotion winning caliber players in a lot of cases. You know, they're players that have been major parts of teams that have got promoted out of this league. But it's just a constant issue where, especially the last, you know, two, three seasons, it just hasn't, you know, the sum has been less than the parts. It's just, it never never seems to click. You know, one game here, one game there, you know, again, a good start to the season. But it quickly peters out and there's no, there's no plan B. There's no, there's no one really on the pitch sort of taking the game by the scruff of its neck both you know, in an individual sense and a, and a team leadership sense. And, you know, we can talk about probably Carlos being a little bit checked out towards the end of his tenure, Yas being checked out from more or less day one, and Bullen, Bullen maybe just not having the, uh, the experience in that chair to drag the performances out of the players. But at a certain point, you do have to wonder. You know, we've talked about how this squad, there's still a fair bit of the Carlos's Wembley 11 here that admittedly are now four years older in a lot of cases, well, in every case, because that's how aging works. But it's at what point does the squad just have to look in the mirror? Who holds the mirror? I think that's what that's the question is, right? So you can't collectively ask a group of players to uh, to look in the mirror and say, well, it was where we're failing. Someone needs to show them where they're failing in, on, en masse. I think you might have one or two people which will say oh, I'm not performing or uh, I've got a little lax um, and they'll try up their game but unless they're all pulling together in the same direction then it's not going to necessarily have the impact that we need so that's where you, you need a good coach you need a good coach but I mean the the, the piece that you just um, hit on Paddy is they've all got to be pulling in the same direction as well right so I'm reading this really interesting book at the moment about the Colorado Buffaloes cross country team like the varsity running team of like the late 90s and it talks about the way in which that squad that group of kind of collegiate runners had to engage with their coach and like the coach was a bit of a taskmaster quite innovative in many respects but it all came down to whether or not he could get those players to agree uh, so those runners to kind of agree to the amount of effort and the amount of commitment they were going to put in in order to get to a goal and it just strikes me that coach after coach has tried this with this group of players and for whatever reason they seem to down tools they don't seem to have the commitment collectively to hold each other accountable, to drive each other forward, to achieve something. Um, and I, I think I tweeted after the game, and Jeff, it kind of comes back to your overall point, which is, have we reached the end of the road with this squad? You know, it's now four years since Wembley. You know, some of that, some of those players that have been here for that time, they haven't delivered. They don't. Sh- they don't look like they're going to deliver this season. So, you know, at what point do we just simply have to say, look? We need to not just change up and evolve the squad as we started to do during this window, but it's two more windows of actually clearing out that dressing room and starting again. Because for whatever reason, this composition of personalities, this composition of players at this point or these points in their career, they just don't seem to have the collective will to win that Wednesday need. Maybe there is a manager out there. There have been some managerial rumors. God knows. And we'll cover those after a short break.
Now it's time for some Wednesday news. We will not start with the manager search because Patty moved things around on the agenda. Instead, we will start with David Bates getting a call up to Scotland, Patty. I knew you'd throw that to me because they're like, as I said, just mention it. Just mention it once, all I need to do. Yeah. Uh, I think he got a late call up, right? Because he wasn't mentioned last week's uh, squad. Um, so David Bates is in it. Uh, hopefully he gets some t- game time. I think he needs some game time. It's good for us. I think it's good for us because he's not getting much game time at the moment. Either way, that's all I wanted to mention that he's got a call up. We'll also give a brief mention to Wednesday's Player of the Month for August, Julian Burner. It's fine. I thought it was either going to be Burner or Harris. I don't have strong feelings either way. I was shocked by this. I <laughs> okay, Harris... Patty has strong feelings. I have strong feelings. I was shocked by this. Because uh, I said last week, didn't I? I said that oh, it's clearly a one, like a one-horse no, race. Did. Kadeem Harris. And you said, what about Burner? I was like, oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I didn't think he'd get that much of a vote. <laughs> Harris has faded a little bit, though, hasn't he? Like, strong start, but he yeah, like I mean, became he became our obvious one-trick pony very, very quickly. Whereas at least Burner's kind of uh, he's established himself, hasn't he? Yeah, I just thought that um, Harris played more impact um, than Burner has in those games where he was good. <laughs> um, but that was two, two matches. I mean, oh, you're already turning on him. You turn no. coat. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. hey. Let's go back. After two matches, Jeff asked me what my talking point was, and I said, it's Kadeem Harris in the fact that he's a little bit one-dimensional. And I started by saying he's done a great job, and this isn't meant to be harsh criticism, but he doesn't really do much else than streak down the left and cut back in, and that's been stopped. So hopefully he picks it back up and... And uh, find some some new tricks. I mean, I can think of one Dutch player that made a pretty good career out of that. And no, it's not Brian Penis. <laughs> Stop talking about Brian Penis. It doesn't exist. It's a real player. You want me to send you the Wikipedia link, Patty? That's enough penis tonight. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, Jeff, you're really counting us out of the Sheffield Wednesday Serious Podcast Awards, right? I didn't realize that was uh, a thing we could get nominated for. I know it's a crowded so many field podcasts, nowadays. It's got to be some categories, right? <laughs> All right. Now, a serious conversation about the managerial rumors around Sheffield Wednesday. We do have the international break coming up. So there is time to get in a new face in the big chair at S6. The Tony Pulis rumors are making the rounds again. Perhaps there is a, uh, a second approach in the offing. Some ITK accounts implying that he is the chairman's choice. I think we've generally been ambivalent about Pulis. We talked about him on some of the preseason shows. But uh, one thing you can say about him, James, he there's a clear plan there, God knows. I put my, uh, my baseball cap on in honor of Tony Pulis. Uh, just basically because there's one hanging in my closet. It doesn't mm-hmm. even fit me properly. Is that um, your pro pool is? I've, I've not actually been on a pod in, in the last month, so I've not really had a chance to contribute to this. I'm about as anti-pro Pulis as I possibly could be. <laughs> Literally, Tony Pulis would make me pretty much detached from Wednesday for the next 12 months until he's inevitably fired after failing. Like I get it. I get, the, I get that the guy's got a track record. 
I get that he's a disciplinarian. I get that he's um, he's got status in the game. But I need more than that. I need I need a long term plan for Sheffield Wednesday. I need I need excitement. I need somebody who gets the crowd. I get I want someone who's going to fire up this team. Who's going to turn this whatever hodgepodge of misaligned talent into something much greater than some of its parts. And I've just I'm not seen Tony Pulis do that in this division for six seven years. Like you know I I just think his time has been and gone. I don't think he's the man for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, so yes, there would be a plan. It would be just simply do what you did before, and that's not that's not good enough for me. So no, no to Pulis. I've taken my hat back off. You don't think the uh, board visage of a bank teller is the face to inspire Sheffield Wednesday to further heights? You tell me, Jeff. You inspired? I mean, I'm not inspired by the choice, but at least it's a it's a direction and a plan and. A manager that knows the league and has a has a way of playing that can, you know, mold the squad and the lineup to an actual purpose. I mean, that purpose is winning one nil every week. But say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. Any political direction is better than no political direction. I see where you're going, Jeff. There is uh, there are parallels in modern life that I could point to. Patty, are you more pro Poulos? Uh, I don't want to say I'm more pro Rogan than pro Poulos, but that's uh, not something I'll get on either. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a silent clap from James because we're going to try and get that into the podcast today. Um, no, definitely not pro Poulos. Um, that is an avenue I don't want to go down. Because essentially, it's just negative football, right? It's something that no one will want to see. Um, I don't even think that you can get the results out of negative football like you used to. So the, I suppose the Middlesbrough fans after his tenure there, well, almost every week during his tenure, because <laughs> um, it's the same bar as we after do. After four or five um, beers. Yeah, they hated him. They, they just didn't want to watch it anymore. Uh, so I don't want to be like that. I'd, I'd rather watch us like lose 4-3 or something like that every week than watch a poolist football. Well, there might be another option. As various reports suggest that the Wednesdays are in for the Lincoln City managerial pair known as the Cowley Brothers, Evan. Yep, yep. Uh, Osgood Schlatter's in awe. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I haven't really read too much into this because as far as I know, we haven't heard from our chairman or anyone at the club that we're actually looking for a new manager. Um, not that we shouldn't be. I, I still, I mean, it's pretty clear from recent results that, that the current manager is not really up to snuff, but I mean, before we get into this Cali stuff, like, have we actually heard other than journalists saying it, have, have we heard direct quotes from anyone at the club that says, yes, we are actively seeking a new manager. Uh, no. And I think that's absolute rubbish, isn't it? Like, if you're a director of a, of a football club and there's a ton of unrest, especially a director like Chansiri who likes to um, have these fan forums and be uh, very transparent, etc. Um, why haven't you come out and said anything? I mean, either say, and we've talked about it before, but even say, Bullen's our guy or we are searching for a new manager. Give Give us some direction. Let us know. I mean, as far as we know, 
Bolin is still the caretaker, but also maybe the full-time manager, but also maybe not. And I know it's like, what does it change for us not or knowing or not knowing? I guess nothing. But at the same time, it's 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 a distraction around the club that c- could be maybe not avoided, but at least um, some of these some of this distraction could be uh, hushed a little, I guess, for lack of a better term. No, Evan, you, you you're absolutely spot on. Um, look. If you are generous and you give the benefit of the doubt to our chairman, um, he didn't see coming what happened in in July, right? You know, uh, he he'd invested in, he'd backed a season manager in Steve Bruce, and then Newcastle happened, and this Steve Bruce snake situation happened that we've talked about a lot. So if you're generous, you say that took him a little bit of time to adjust, but there's no shortage of qualified managers out there. No matter my opinion on Tony Pulis, he's a qualified manager, so. He's, Gary Wright or Gary Monk or whomever else, right? Um, it's not acceptable to let the, this linger for this long. You know, we're, we're a club with aspirations of being at the sharp end of the championship, getting out into the Premier League. You don't get anywhere in sport, in business, in any form of organisation if you don't have a plan, if you can't communicate that plan, if you can't tell the people who are working for you what the direction is that you're trying to go in. Um, and that works it's impossible to imagine what the spirit in the dressing room is like. You know, Lee Bullen's basically saying, look, I'm here, but I don't know if I've got the job. I don't know what I have to do in order to get it. Um, And you've got a situation where there is no clarity around a future manager. So I apologize for going on a ramp, but it just isn't acceptable for Wednesday to let this linger for any longer. And an international break, two weeks between games, is the perfect time for us to make an assessment of how the first six games have gone. And to make a decisive choice about the future management structure and the football infrastructure of the of the of the club, and if we don't act now, the season will ebb away before we've even got going. So yeah, you know, you, you're completely right. It it should be dealt with now. So that being said, uh, we do have some some great info on the Cali brothers and their success at Lincoln. Um, another shout out to Chris Robinson on uh, putting some of these stats together so we can. Uh, bring these to you, but since this seems to be the front runner, um, we'll, we'll get into s- some of the, some of this stuff. So, um, yeah, but the first place that I, I love the fact that you're recurring our, our stat guy, being held by Chris first of all. So I wanted to make a regular feature, so I, I, I made you a jingle because I think you should be our stat man. Okay. There you go. I'm a yep. stat man. <laughs> See, you're a stat man. You like it? Yeah, I really do. Actually, it gets me fired up. Gets me Excellent. ready to, That's to read back. off these numbers. <laughs> so Jeff's face is a picture. <laughs> so at Lincoln, Cali, seventy-five percent of the time has employed a four-two-three-one formation. Um, remember that seven. 75% of the time. What's interesting is in that amount of time that he's been at Lincoln, Sheffield Wednesday have employed five different formations um, and 42% of the time it's been a 4 one four, one. Um, so, so think about that. Two different formations for Cali. 4-2-3-1, 75% of the time or a 4-4-2, 25% of the time. For us, five different ones and a majority of the time is only 42% of the time. 
if you're following me. So hey, uh, hey, Mister Stat, yes. do you remember a, a Sheffield Wednesday manager who favoured four two three one? No, that would be uh, that would be one Mister Yoslahuko. Yeah, well. Um, now he's a big-time German manager, so obviously he knows what he's doing. That's Lukai and the Scatman John look very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he also start out playing three at the back for the most part? Scatman John? No, he's the one who won the. <laughs> oh my god! So, moving on, um, Lincoln, albeit at a different uh, different level, have scored 1.8 goals per game Wednesday in that time. 1.2 goals per game. Uh, Lincoln averaged 46% possession Wednesday, 48%. Um, I don't know. I guess this this next line says only conceded four, same as just two other teams. R says conceded six, 18th in the league. I assume that's probably goals allowed yeah, this goals season so far. So far. Yeah. <clears throat> ah, okay. Thank you. Very good. Um, Hold on, our Statman doesn't seem to be on top of his stats here. Our Statman is going to get sacked at this. Quite shaky. This is like I I did get. Hey, hey, hey. seventy-five percent of these lines that I've read so far uh, have been spot on. So uh, do not look at the man behind the curtain. Up to now, Lincoln are second highest scorers in in their league with fourteen goals. Wednesday have scored eight. Um, He favors kind of a, a younger average balanced team in terms of age uh 25.9 is their uh average age and in their league it's 25.6 um ours is the oldest team in the league at 28.1 years old uh they've had the third most shots in the league we've had 72 shots which is right in the middle um they've had 82 uh, their 1v1 win percentage is second most in their league with 191. We're third most. So uh, defensively, that's that's a defensive stat, by the way. Uh, 1v1's one on de- defense. And so, you know, there, there's just a, a little snapshot. In his career, he's won 52% of his matches, um, averages eight or 1.8 points per game. And he's collected points in 75% of matches, which is actually... Um, it's pretty impressive if you think about it. So, uh, again, just a little snapshot into what Cali might bring to the table. But I think it'd be interesting to speak. Uh, you know, we already talked earlier about uh, James's uh, preferred lineup. What if we're in a four-two-three-one? Uh, what, what's a lineup look like for us? Wait, is that the end of the stat section? Yes, yeah, Patty, it's the end of the stat gonna, section. There we go. So, Evan, uh, before you get into formations and all that jazz, um, having just run us through a litany of data points, would you hire Danny Cowley and his brother Nicky? I mean, sure. Uh, (laughs) Why not? The thing is... This is what's interesting to me. Um, it, three weeks ago, when everyone says, yeah, we're Team Bullen. He's he's the guy. Let's stick with him. We're doing well. We're top of the table. Look at us. Had anyone ever heard of the Cali brothers? I mean, has any had anyone... Maybe they'd heard of them, but <laughs> did like anyone a, have like any hot, legitimate like, information on them? Yeah, no, like I've that. heard of them. I've heard of them. They directed the Matrix films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You're thinking, you're thinking of uh, Stranger Things. No. I thought that was the Wachowski sisters. <laughs> I thought they sung um, on the roof, up on the roof. 
No, that's Shakespeare's sister. <laughs> okay, sorry. Oh, um, no, the, they're the guys from Chicago that did uh, blues music and stuff, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Suits and stuff. Yeah, but no, yeah. seriously, think about it. I mean, um, yeah, sure, let's hire them. They seem like they're great. They're up and comers. They're, um, you know, we see stories like this not very often, but um, they come up, come around every now and then where people climb the ranks. And you know, maybe soon enough we'll be up at the Premier League with this uh, with this Cali guy, who's a great story, the new up and coming manager in, in England. But you know. <laughs> Are they going to do any better than the next guy that we could possibly hire? I mean, you got to hope so, right? I mean, this it's a very rare feat that they've done, taking the team from uh, the National League, right, which is the conference, uh, up through the leagues to where they are now in, uh, in League One. Uh, and now they're sitting quite high in League One too. So they've got to have a certain uh, different way of working, a way of bringing a, a group together Um whether they can apply that to Sheffield Wednesday is the big million-dollar question, right? Um, we don't know. But I think it's probably the best of the options that have been touted so far, uh, just because it's something new. It's not. It's the total opposite of Tony Poulis. You're getting someone that's like this, this, this kind of new, young firebrand of football manager that's exciting, um, that's been successful, uh, only been successful too. Um, so I think for us to be... Uh, courting him uh, and it sounds like we've got further down the discussion route than Huddersfield have got uh, it's positive so I'm positive Danny Kelly on Huddersfield's approach I've got full respect for Huddersfield Town and them as a club it was a timing and the role we're in here Lincoln is a role we're very committed to and it's a club we're very proud to be a part of not exactly a Steve Bruceian uh, denial there it's fairly firm not that necessarily means anything he did then go on to say when uh, asked about Sheffield Wednesday's reported interest during a uh, a game with uh, Doncaster Rovers that it was, uh, quote-unquote, news to him, which mm. may ring a few bells because I believe that's what a certain <laughs> Mr. Steve Bruce said in Portugal More the night Steve before Bruce he, uh, yes. he completely fucked us over. Um, but look, I, 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 I'm completely with Paddy, right? The idea of youthful, successful, new-thinking football management coming into Sheffield Wednesday... Yeah, it's captured everybody's imagination. Did anyone really give them a second thought this time last week? Maybe outside of a few a few select football observers, no. Um, the exciting thing is, if you talk to people who actually really watch the the EFL, um, they've got a marker down for these guys. But like, you know, they they feel that what they've done with Lincoln is reminiscent of of you know some of the biggest success stories in the league in in recent years. So so you know they're they're a, an exciting commodity, right? Um, do I think they're about to walk in the door at Hillsborough? I, I wouldn't hold your breath, right? I mean, both their words that they're committed to what they're doing unless the absolute perfect opportunity comes across, but also, you know, to what we talked about the, the head of this segment, have Wednesday really demonstrated that that is what they want? I'm not sure we have just yet. So so let's wait and see. Maybe we have to do an emergency podcast next week after we've appointed them and we're also directing the fourth Matrix film, but I'm I'm not convinced just yet. Since we are trying not to do a podcast next week, we will preview Wednesday's match against Huddersfield Town, which is coming up after the international break. And Huddersfield Town has been in the Premier League the last two years, James, so we have not properly previewed them on this podcast yet. 
Uh, which means that, that that's the the kind of cue for a return to a much uh, unmissed segment, which is where we bash small towns in uh, in England, right? Um, Huddersfield is actually a difficult one for me because I lived there for the first year of my life, or near nearby anyway, in, in a town called Shepley, or a village called Shepley, I guess, uh, which is about uh, two thirds of the way to Huddersfield from Sheffield. Huddersfield is basically on the um, the kind of the hills, the Pennines between Sheffield and Manchester and Leeds. It's kind of caught in an awkward space where nobody really wants to be because it's quite high up, very windy and uh, and a bit shit, to be perfectly honest. So, I mean, we could easily fall into the trap of bashing them. All I'll say is that Huddersfield has given the world something that um, very few other places, if ever, have, have contributed, which is Nora Batty, um, a, uh, a woman of octogenarian age with uh, her tights around her ankles, who was the love interest of a, uh, a small septuagenarian old man with uh, a beard a little bit like Paddy's but with a bit more kind of grey salt and pepper in it uh, called Compo uh, his, uh, his friend Clegg and a, and a tall chap who looks a bit like Jeff in like late age called Foggy. Um, this is what passes as comedy on a Sunday night on British television i.e. the last of the son of the wine which is three Evan looks old blokes <laughs> who randomly wander around small villages in the periphery of Huddersfield uh, while getting into japes such as climbing to bathtubs and running down hills at high speed. So, you know, who's going to knock Huddersfield for that, right? Nice little part of the world, very windy, absolutely no place for a Premier League football team, and therefore it's gr- graciously nice to see them crashing back to earth after uh, annoyingly nicking our place at Wembley a couple of years ago. I've actually been playing quite close uh, close contact to Huddersfield Town over the past few years because my friend, one of my best friends back home, is a Huddersfield Town fan. And... Uh, he sends me regular updates on the, uh, the shenanigans that goes on around the club because they're essentially a comedy club. Uh, for years now, Andy Booth has been, uh, obviously, ex-Wednesday player Andy Booth, uh, has been some kind of club ambassador. <laughs> Booth! <laughs> well, there you go. Um, club ambassador for Huddersfield Town for the past, like I would say, maybe eight years now. It feels like eight years at least. And he just turns up in these hilarious spots around Huddersfield with, with some very tenuous links to the club itself. Uh, he's essentially a dog's body. Uh, so you'll, one minute you'll see him opening up a, a, like a Woolworths in the Huddersfield Town Centre on behalf of Huddersfield Town. Next minute he'll be comparing a bingo night at the club. <laughs> Three weeks later he's giving away a meat raffle at something uh, down at the Working Men's Club. All in the name of Huddersfield Town. They're just giving any shit job that they don't want to do to Andy Booth and he just turns up with a nice little smile on his face and some scissors in his hand to open things up. It's it's proper hilarious. Uh, there's other things that happen in Huddersfield Town too, um, which I can't remember all of right now, but the, obviously the, the whole scandal around their Paddy Power sponsorship at the beginning of the season was hilarious, which they ended up getting fined for. So I don't know if you remember the shots when they announced their kit, they had a big sash saying Paddy Power across the front of it. And that's just another stunt that only Huddersfield would do because they're ridiculous. They're a ridiculous club. Uh, it turned out that obviously it was against large sponsorships and they turned out to have no sponsorship at all this season. So for me, they're a hilarious club to follow. They've got loads of stories like the Andy Booth ones turning up at different places around Huddersfield. But uh, they've got a small, a little small place in my heart for being so ridiculous. Paddy, do we have any other business? Oh, you don't want to know the stats on Huddersfield? Wait, have we got any stats? <laughs> Evan, have we got stats? Uh, yeah, a couple, couple stats. stats. <laughs> go, stat man, go. Huddersfield, average 51% possession, passing accuracy 
percent. They average nine point three shots per game. They're an absolutely shit squad, second last in the table. Um, only two people have scored goals for them. They've scored five goals, and four of them have come from Carlin Ahern Grant, who scores, uh, according to Wikipedia, the my number one go-to source. Um, he scores once every two matches, basically, for, for Huddersfield since he's, he started playing for them uh, early uh, last year. Well, last season, early 2019. So they're a really bad side. If we can't pull three points from this um, and Bullen's still in charge, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very, very ugly. I'm a My wife's got to kill me. It's like quite slow tonight. Jeff's beard twitch. He's getting it. Keep going, Paddy. Paddy, do we have any other business? <laughs> um, yes, we do. Oh, God. I've got to put on my Scatman John video and try and find the goddamn agenda. Um, Close your so, tabs. Congratulations, Neil. Let's start there. Let's go for that. Neil Schaefer, uh, San Diego Owl. Uh, congratulations, my friend. Uh, he's got married to his lovely lady. Um, so we send in our West Wishes from Owls Americas. Um, massive Wednesday fan, Neil. Uh, you can find him on San Diego Owls on Twitter. Where do you uh, go we have for a honeymoon if you already live in San Diego? Diego. That's a good point, actually. Maybe he's going to Hillsborough. I don't know. <laughs> um, other Owls Americas news, we have two new city reps. I, th- I think one's not so new, but I just forgot to add them to the website. Um, what, both, Do uh, they add them in live on the podcast? They're both very north. Um, one's in Winnipeg in Canada. Uh, that uh, is Dave Johnson. And the other is in Victoria, uh, BC. That's like, what? British Four Columbia. Guys. Okay. Uh, Dave Buttry. Buttry? Dave Buttry. Uh, so both of those uh, are new city reps. And if you're not really aware of what city reps are, they're essentially uh, the seeds of a supporter group. So we have city reps across the US uh, and the Americas uh, who are people getting in touch and say, look, I'd like to start something, but I only know me. Uh, so put my name on the website. Uh, and if anyone's in the town that I live, on the city that I live, uh, they can get in touch with me and I'll arrange a meetup. So that's what a city rep is. You can find out their details on owlsamericas.com and the find fans section. We now have some of your social media questions. We'll start on Twitter with our good friend at Palmetto Owls. How does this year compare to the last four as far as the first six matches? I mean, we always start the season shit, so more or less the same. Don't have the answer to this. Who's that? Where's that stat man? Yeah, this was answered on Twitter, I believe, um, actually. And I think it was Paul who answered it. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously we we started well and we don't often start that well. And so... um, you don't, don't you know, to fill up. Evan, don't to yeah, fill. just trying to fill until I can find. I do this feel like this is tweet. the first time in like four years. He's gone. <laughs> 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 found it yet? Evan, you got the answer. No. All right. Yeah. Move on. Move on. So, we're one point worse off than we were under Yoss last season. Move on. God damn it! I'm gonna I'm gonna sack the stat man. From Paul Newby, as Chris notes, as Chris just puts this in the agenda for us, it's more of a statement. 
it's interesting how many Wednesday fans have said we need an experienced manager who knows the championship and has the contacts, but as soon as the Cowleys are mentioned, who are neither of the above, people are excited. I mean, point. I guess it depends on... I think we're just looking for a direction. You know, Tony Pulis, as I said, is certainly a direction. The Cali brothers are a different one. I think you get, you know, visions of Eddie Howe dancing in your head. Or Say Sean the Dutch. name. Say the guy. No, I'm not. You know, you know, I no, you know absolutely not. Uh, but this is this is crept in, right? Yeah. This this is why people are getting excited is because they don't want to admit it, but they kind of want a bit of what's going on over there. Yeah, I don't think it's that yeah. though. It's a thing. Like, uh, you know, this is not a. God knows we've changed managers enough times in the last few years that you know this discussion comes up every once in a while. Sort of, do you want the the steady hand that knows the league, or do you want the new hot managerial candidate? And that's a question I think, you know, certainly more championship clubs than just Wednesday have answered. And I don't know if there's a there's a wrong or right answer, you know. Colin got Cardiff promoted out of the league, playing his very 1980s brand of football. But we've also seen, you know, obviously the aforementioned Eddie Howe, um, the random Rafa Benitez. I mean, if Wednesday wants to go out and get Rafa Benitez, I'm all for that. It's similar to Wagner too, right? It's a new, exciting per- uh, person. And people will always be um, excited by the new and shiny thing, right? So, yes, some Wendy fans want an experienced championship manager, but then they bulk at uh, Tony Pulis, <laughs> rightly, as we discussed, uh, because experience isn't necessarily equal success in some of these managers we've seen so far in the doing the round. So, for me, I'd rather take a risk. Can I ask why people are so obsessed with um, with English managers, by the way, like why why is there such an emphasis on on we need a proper English manager? Like England hasn't won the World Cup since 1966, and I don't think they've ever won Europe. So, like, what's what's this big superiority complex for? Do you want a rational answer, Evan, or an emotional answer? Oh God, rational, please. Rational is that the style of football required to be successful in England requires knowledge of the leagues, which tends to err towards people who have had experience in the leagues, either playing or managing at a lower level, which proportionally tends to balance towards white English men. So that maybe is why why they say that. We'll head to the Instagram and take a question from underscore Ronnie SWFC, who has a question about, conveniently, an English manager. What are your views on Alex Neal? God. What's uh, that mean? Like, point of view? Like, how do we look at him? Like, I assume, from in front, uh, from behind? I, <laughs> I assume he's uh, as a potential Wednesday manager. I should point out he's Scottish, not English. Just before people yell at me instead of James for some reason. <laughs> But uh, no, he's actually younger than Danny Cowley, for the record. He's only 38. Uh, he's currently the manager at Preston, who, you know, as we are well aware, constantly get the goat of Wednesday. And he was at Norwich before that. I think it's a good option. Um, I would. It's weird he doesn't get mentioned in these uh, conversations around management, right? But he's a fantastic job at Preston. Um, so... 
Yeah, I suppose I'd I'd be okay with that. But I wouldn't necessarily say that it's something that I'd be excited about. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have... So he's sort of the... He doesn't really have the new car smell of the Cowleys, but he also doesn't really have the proven championship nows of the Rowitz and Pulises and Ian Holloway's and Steve McLaren and whatever other other slightly balding British manager you can come up with. Why are they all slightly it, balding? I mean, Alex Neal is completely bald, obviously. but Because most of them are middle-aged British men, Jeff. <laughs> We asked some questions of you. Uh, are the Cali brothers coming to SWFC? Uh, our good friend Serge would love the Cali brothers, which I think jives well with the discussion on this show. And we also, for some reason, asked, what do you think of the recent performances? Where at uh, runner underscore 812 chimed in quite cogently, somewhere between underwhelming and shite. I don't know where on the continuum... Episode title, Jeff. Thank yeah. you. We should, we should get him on the podcast. <laughs> That's insightful. Evan is uh, <laughs> live editing the agenda. Evan, after six games, what are fair expectations for the season? Fucking awful if we don't get a proper English manager. <laughs> Who said that? Evan. <laughs> when he was editing oh. the agenda, you can't see because you have six different YouTube versions of Scatman <laughs> open in different tabs. <sighs> well, this has been a proper American podcast, and you have been listening to episode 76 of the Owls AmeriCast, brought to you by Sheff- Sheffield Wednesday's I Follow Live Match streaming service. Sign up at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com and find and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show, just do what feels right. And wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americas, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Evan is on Twitter at Ohio Owl. Evan, what are you looking for? What are the the main traits you're looking for in a proper English manager? Um, middle-aged, balding, wears a tight track suit, or a uh, a nice vest with a tie underneath, um, and must speak some Spanish. Oh, curveball at the end. That's going to get the. Uh... So we're, hiring, we're hiring one of the Neville brothers, basically, is what you're saying. <laughs> Why does it have to be one of the brothers? Why can't it be Neville? <laughs> it's Neville? Not both of them. It's just one of them, though. Ring Neville, Neville to Hills. That's what we're saying. He's always been a, fe- a friend of the pod. Big time friend. <laughs> James That's is on awesome. Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, are there any other takes you'd like to catch up on since you haven't been here in a month? <laughs> I think I'll, I'm going to stay away for the next two months after the debacle <laughs> that's been this evening. I'll say that. Patty is on Twitter at New York Owls and at Patty A. Jones. Patty, play us out. I'm a scat man. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. God willing, you won't see me here ever again. 
got love.